Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. In 2017, the military gathered a small group of scientists to try and bring the Quantum Leap time travel program back online. Five years later, believing it was the only way to save his fiancée's life, Dr. Ben Song risked everything when he entered the accelerator to travel back in time. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. Ben believed he would only need to complete 18 leaps before he could return to the place and people he calls home. But something went wrong. Ben! No! And for reasons unknown, Ben did not leave home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 147. This took too long. No. This can't be happening. I was supposed to leave home. I was supposed to be back. Yes. Ian. Jen. Magic. Anyone. Are you okay in there, Perez? Yeah. I'm good. Wait, wait, look at this. Look at this, right up uh -huh. here. Shipping out of Germany, do you see that? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it would be hard not to ascribe meaning to the point of origin, Just right? Just as we picked it up from Germany doesn't mean it came from Germany. No, no, you're just gonna close over the fact well, that the Nazis collected a lot of artifacts? Stop, it's not what you think it is. I yes. just said God, would you two please shut up? Okay, Bailey, you don't care what's inside this thing? No, I don't. And if you were smart, neither would you. Knowing secrets in the Air Force isn't cool or fun, it just bites you in the ass. All that matters to me is once we deliver that thing, we get to climb out of this military purgatory you've been stuck in for the past five years. That thing is a ticket out of running dead-end long-haul supply missions. We land in New Delhi, hand it off, you two get to go do whatever. You get an honorable discharge, and you get to finally go home. Isn't that what you've always wanted? Yeah. It is. Okay, great then. All we have to do for the next couple hours is nothing. Literally stay out of our own way. What's that? To Sam, everyone strap in! Sam, as in surface to air missiles. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher D. Philippus. And I'm Matt Dale. And we have arrived. Finally, we're talking yes! about it. Matt, it's here. <laughs> we're back. We're back. <laughs> Season two, baby. <gasps> wow. It feels like forever, which is weird because like season one was 30 years after the previous season. And, and yet the last <laughs> four, five, six months seem to have been forever. Yeah, well, that's because we have expectations now. Before, anything we got was like gravy. It was just like mana from heaven. Yeah, true, and now, true. <laughs> just like, wait a minute. And uh, I guess it's apropos that the name of this episode was This Took Too Long. Yes. <laughs> with an exclamation mark. Who doesn't love an episode title with an exclamation mark in it? Not many of those. 
It's kind of a weird title if you think about it because I don't know who they're talking about. And and it could have taken a lot longer. You know, thank goodness uh, we had these in the can before the strike went on because we might not have even gotten a season two. So here yes. we are. I think this took just long enough as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The fact that they've been sitting on this episode for, for months, uh, it's just it's mind-blowing. And no leaks. No leaks either. Yeah, that is just phenomenal to me that we did not get spoiled on this episode beforehand in some way. Yeah. And I'm so glad we didn't because, well, a lot to talk about there, huh? Yes. Yeah, I feel like we're jumping ahead. <laughs> Yeah, but before we get ahead of ourselves, uh, we do have an interview to announce. Hey, we're back. We're back in full form, oh. baby. We have interviews. So, Matt, tell everybody who we got, because this is your doing, as usual. Oh, thank you. I, I'm super excited about this one, because uh, this is a guy that I was hoping we'd get to speak to last year, and uh, we just didn't end up with time. There was so many cool people to speak to, but... We are going to be speaking later in the show with Chris Grisma, the directing producer. Chris directed a bunch of the first season. Uh, he's the executive, or one of the executive producers of the show. He's directing some of season two. So he's just got so much to talk about. And, uh, yeah, honestly, I, I, I reached out to him a couple of weeks back, not even being sure with the strikes going on if he'd be willing to speak or able to or, or interested in speaking with us. And yeah, he, he came straight back, very kindly said he's a huge fan of the show and he'd love to be on. And uh, yeah, just just so much fun to get to talk to him. Yeah, yeah. It was a good interview. Both Matt and I are on that one. We both got to talk to him. So we will be bringing you that after the break. I am so excited to be bringing you to it. It is interesting and it's a perspective that we don't often get. Um, I love the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so stay tuned for that. Um, but, uh, you know, we still have the entire episode to mm. discuss. That we do. Do you want to just start with some initial impressions? Let's dive right in. Yeah, let's do initial impressions. So, yeah, I think you're right about saying there were expectations here because we've had a few months to dwell on 18 episodes, which were variable. They, I, I think yep. they were generally all at least good, but some some were better than good. But it gave us something to, to think about, and thinking is dangerous. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I well, it, it is, though, right, because you then start creating in your mind what 201 is going to look and feel like and we we all mm -hmm. had time to think about that and i couldn't have been more pleased with the outcome i think this this one is is right up there with some of the strongest season one episodes it's definitely a stronger season opener than the season one season opener which is yes, good yes I mean, that's not a very high bar, but still. It, it's not, but it's an important thing to point out. And not not every series has a, a solid season two opener, <coughs> Star Trek The Next Generation. So it, <laughs> it's... <laughs> I mean, come on, really? <laughs> Honeymoon Express. <laughs> I, I liked Honeymoon Express, but, but fair enough. Uh, I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> so yeah, it, it could so easily have fallen flat on its face, and I'm so glad it didn't because uh, I, I hope the fans that see this are just going to fall in love with the show in a way they haven't before and be swept up with the series. So it, yeah, so some things to pick apart for sure, but overall, high standard episode. 
Hmm. Hmm. I'm I'm, I'm kind of glad that that you're there with this because I had uh, a lot of trepidation going through. Mm-hmm. I don't know if if just before before I give you my, my initial, have you done any kind of rewatch for season one before jumping on to season two? Uh, not directly. I mean, I I published a little book between the, the seasons, <laughs> so I I did rewatch them all a couple of times as research. But it's not the same when you're sitting there with a notepad. Um, no, not not to watch them for enjoyment. No. Gotcha. Gotcha. Did you? Did well, you? Well, I tried. I really did. Um, I I put on the first few episodes, and I found myself just losing interest. Like my mind was wandering because, I mean, Allison is right in so many ways about season one of this new Quantum Leap in the sense that the mystery box formula made the first season almost unwatchable a second time because if you know <laughs> the twists and every episode is predicated on some kind of mean, meaningless reveal, yeah, then. It gets to be a little bit, well, why am I, why am I know the reveal now? Why am I spinning my wheels? And the only thing that kept me focused and grounded when I was paying attention was the character bits because I still love the cast and, you know, like I love sort of the premise of the back at the project stuff. So going into this, I had, I don't know, I don't know, my expectations were high, of course, because it's Quantum Leap, right? And you want, you're excited. You know, I really right. was so excited to see season two and some behind the scenes stuff, us speaking to Dean and him telling us, you know, off mic, off the record that season two is going to be somewhat different, right? That also yes. set our expectations. Now we're here. So I think it's okay that we say that. So right there, I'm thinking, okay, so I know there's going to be some kind of changes. I know that the paradigm's going to shift. Is it going to shift in a good way? Is it going to shift in a bad way? At least it'll be a little different than what we had. But what are they going to retain? And what are they going to change? And so I was like popping all over the place. But <laughs> when we saw these episodes drop, because behind the scenes, uh, spoiler, everybody, we get the screeners ahead of time. Thank God. Otherwise, the show wouldn't be out tonight when you're listening to it. But they gave us the first three. And I was just like, whoa, you know, like I didn't realize how much I had been looking forward to seeing them. So I got so excited. And um, I don't know if you know this about me, Matt. When I like something and I'm excited about something, I have a tendency to gush a little bit. So yeah, I was, <laughs> right I was saying to you. myself, I was saying to myself, don't gush, don't gush, just watch. So I'm watching this episode. And I am delighted. I thought it was fantastic. I was so hey. happy with what I was seeing. And so then I stopped and it was like, um, I, I didn't watch it again until about um, three or four hours before we got on mic today. And I said, okay, temper yourself. All right, fanboy. Now mm-hmm. really watch it with a critical eye. And um, I'm sorry to tell you that upon my second rewatch, I liked it even better. Even this more. was a fantastic season opener i mean this was it had so many expectations to live up to and i feel like that it ticked all the boxes that it needed to for me can i throw a quick anecdote in here just um you just reminded me when you talked about the screeners so these first three episodes dropped while i was at the theater with several friends watching cabaret starring mason (laughs) and and literally (laughs) the um i i was with somebody else who uh, gets granted access to to screeners and it it was the interval i fired up my phone i logged in and he'd gone to the bathroom so i messaged him saying you may want to skip the second act i think we need to go somewhere (laughs) private for two and a half hours I think he thought I was coming on to him. Barry, I wasn't coming on to you. Uh, 
but I thought it might be Barry. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, that that was um, fortunately amazing show uh, because otherwise that really would have ruined it for me. And I hadn't I hadn't got my headphones with me, so I was sat there on the the train on the way home thinking, do I just watch it on mute? <laughs> or do I actually? I didn't. I I got home at midnight and started watching then. But uh, yeah, that was a, an excruciating couple of hours just waiting, and waiting. I bet. I bet. Well, yeah. here we are now. The wait is over. Here we are. We've all seen it now. And I'm going to give uh, the listeners at home sort of an insight into the way I like to do these things when we get screeners. If we get a bunch at a time, because I've done other shows where we have gotten a bunch, if not the entire season. I do not binge ahead. So if they dropped all eight episodes for this season, I would watch the first one, do a show. Watch the second one, do a show. Watch the third one, do a show. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that keeps it more organic in the sense that I don't know what's coming. And therefore, even if I don't mean to, something that I know is going to be established won't temper my view of the discussion mm -hmm. we have of the episode that we are watching. So I give all of you out there my word that it will be as authentic as I can make it. And I can, re you know, restrain myself between recordings uh, to, to, to tell these things out one at a time. <laughs> so Yes, same. We'll both be doing that. All right. Yeah, because that's how I like to do it. I just find that the discussions are a lot more organic that way. There won't be any kind of inadvertent, oh, I don't know, just like shading of of how we react because anyway, I, I don't know if that's important to anybody, but it's important to me because I want to give you guys a genuine reaction. So, okay. A lot, lot, lot to discuss here. Changed. <laughs> Everything's changed. Everything's <laughs> changed. Everything has changed. Sorry, jumping to the last slide of the episode there, but I felt that was a good place to start. <laughs> well, I mean, let's talk about that. I mean, there are definite changes this season. Mm -hmm. um, I think we need to discuss the dynamics of that, both good and bad. I really enjoyed the fact that this first episode had almost no back at the project stuff. This was a straight leap and this was a showcase for Ben and by extension Raymond. So the leap plot was all on this one. And um, I, I think that it gave us something that we had been looking for in the entire first season, which was more of a, a focus on how does Ben do what he does? And who is yeah. Ben Song as a leaper without Addison spoon feeding him almost immediately after he gets to a leap? So that was a welcome change on this one. That changed up the dynamic. You know, we find out why. But um, what did you think of, of Raymond in this? I think if I'd have been told about that in advance, that there was going to be effectively no back at the project stuff, because the project stuff we did see was all in flashbacks. So that that was more internalizing and, and seeing what, what Ray was seeing in his head. I think if I'd have known that in advance, I would have been very concerned that this was maybe pandering to some of the fans who were saying, I want this to be more like the show as it was originally. But I went in there not knowing just how little of the project we'd see and I was very pleasantly surprised that as you say this was a showcase for Raymond he was so good in this he got some great comic moments I mean the, oh so my those, god I laughed those... out loud so many times yes. <laughs> same all, all those bits where it, it, it was effectively no, let's, let's not talk about that let's, let's never mind about that bit let's move on <laughs> and I, I know I'm not doing it the way he did it but the, the way he delivered those lines was just Gold. Yeah, this looks exactly like one of the old radios I used to take apart in Frankenstein back together when I was a kid, so, yeah. Uh, that is top-of-the-line Air Force communication tech. It's, it's 
brand new. No, for sure. Uh, it's metaphorically similar. Metaphorically? Uh, how is that? How is what you're saying a metaphor? I can fix it. No problem. Uh, we could stop talking about it. And there was also some some really good dramatic stuff for him. Yeah, it it was a great it was a great showcase for Raymond. And in a way, doing that, I think. Sorry to to call back to this, but this was a almost a honeymoon express type. This is the start of the second season. Let's not throw a bunch of lore at you. Let's just show you a guy out there on a leap. And we understand this is time travel and we'll build it up again slowly. Up until those last five seconds. It's yeah. it, it was a it was a really nice way of easing in new audience members. I think you're right. And I think that's another strength of the episode because we get some automatic pathos for Ben because he you know, thinks he's coming home, right? So Mm. his leap in, he's just like, where am I? What's going on here? And you see him being frustrated and you see him getting angry. And then all of a sudden he just settles into this resolve. Okay, I'm here. And there's no one here as my support. And all right, let's just get this done. So I love the fact that the frustration shifts into resolve, but then he's got got this... (laughs) I don't know if it's false bravado, but he's just like, okay, we're, we're going to solve this. We're going to do this. Okay, I'm, I'm yeah. here because, okay, I can fly the plane. I can get a safety. No, he almost gets blown out the back of the plane, <laughs> you know, and the, the, just other little moments like that where the comedy shines through and you wouldn't expect it to pivot so quickly into really funny moments the way this episode did because this is essentially Suicide Squad, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. But this is uh, this is a really good pivot as well for Ray's character. You you couldn't have a hologramless leap early in season one, or even towards the end of season one. Now we're at a point where all right, he's done this eighteen times already. Can he cope without Addison? And the answer is yes, he can. There's some new, different challenges, but this establishes that push come to shove, he's not completely reliant on information from the future which gives us a, a lot of new stuff to potentially play around with. Yeah, I, I, and it, it it gives me more faith in Ben, you know, his skill as a leaper, someone that can see a situation and turn it around. Inevitably, we're going to compare it to like Sam's style. I think yeah. in this, he's he's a little bit more proactive than Sam ever was in many ways. But the leaps, that's I think that's a key difference between the two series, right? I feel like the leaps in QL 2022, now 2023, they're a bit more dynamic because they can be. I, I don't know mm. what it is, but it, it doesn't seem as set piecey as the original series. So Ben can get into different kinds of situations that are by their nature, because of the setting, a little bit more dramatic than some of the stuff that we were able to do on the original Quantum Leap. Yeah. And I don't know that the character had risen up to that dynamic yet in season one, but man, he sure exceeds it here yeah. in this episode in season two. It, it, that's another thing that gave me faith for, okay, if this is a shift in the paradigm, at least we have someone like Raymond Lee who – I don't know if he was given the best stuff to do in season one. A lot of it was just pining after Addison. It was a, yeah. a lot of like, oh, how am I going to get home? Now I think we're going to see him have this subtle mind shift where, okay, I'm not home now. What do we really have to do here? And now this can be about leaping, not about pining. It's got to be difficult to do character growth with a guy that has very little connection 
back to the people and place he calls home and partial amnesia. Uh, and, and we didn't see that much character development with Sam over five years for that very reason. So it's, yeah, it's good to see, good to see some character development here and some, some growth. Talking about partial amnesia, that seems to be uh, no longer a side effect of leaping for Ben. I mean, we, we've kind of established that in season one, right? Yeah. He's got all his marbles, man. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's flashing back to all sorts of early project stuff now. Yeah, I, um, can we talk about that back at the project stuff? I mean, because yeah, I, I really want to know, in your opinion, what timeline are we seeing here? Well, there is, at this point, there's only one timeline at the point that he's flashing back to. Because we've got... Um, We've got a flashback to Addison trying on a Fermi suit. Rocking that Fermi suit. Hmm? Yeah, absolutely. Could be any <laughs> point, to be fair. We've got Jen and Ian saying, look, you're acting like you're in fifth grade. You have a crush on her. Hmm? No, do not. Do not. What are you in the fifth grade? Yeah, what are you in the fifth grade? <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a great scene. That made me laugh out loud. That was so funny. Shame about Mason's wig, but we established that one back in Judgment Day. Not much we could do about exactly. that. Exactly. Shame about Jen's eye makeup, you know? Yeah. But that was before the Judgment Day stuff where Ben admitted that he'd consulted Ziggy. So before Martinez had arrived. And then Ben asking Addison out on a date and saying, let's go to a Chinese place tomorrow night. So again, the day before Martinez arrives. So it's likely all before Martinez arrives and we start having six, seven, eight timelines. If you want to see a diagram of them, buy my book, forevertv.co.uk. But before that, <laughs> that's when this all happens. Uh, it, it, it's kind of cool. I know you're a Back to the Future fan. I'm a Back to the Future fan. I, I got very Back to the Future 2-y sort of vibes, even though that's not what they're doing here by them going back to the same time period that the first season had ended on and showing sort of different scenes and stuff happening the day before the season. It, it, it was very much 1955. It felt like 1955 to me back at the project 2017. 2018, sorry. Thank you, because I was still baffled in my head as to when this exactly is supposed to take place, but it's perfect that it takes place before any of the season one intervention. <laughs> it makes it a lot easier. It makes it so much easier. Yeah, it certainly does. But um, for all that, I mean, I loved some of the themes that they did when we did see the project personnel, when we were back with Magic and Ian and Jen and um, Addison, that's her. I think what we got was in such service to where Ben was mentally on the leap. And yeah. I, duh, that's good writing. That's just because show, mm. right? But it exceeded even that to me because a lot of the stuff that they were talking about put me in mind of mirror image. And this is going to sound weird, but we see Ben out there forced to be on his own in a tougher situation than he has been before mm -hmm. and only having himself to rely on. Are you telling me the leaps are going to get tougher? And I think a lot of the themes that they were yeah. trying to, to pick up on in the back at the project stuff was about learning self-reliance, about trusting your gut, about being confident in the decisions that you're going to make to be the right decisions. And that had so much of the DNA of mirror image on it to me that it became inextricable. And I found myself like, like just like over the moon at those scenes on the second watch, especially because 
it had gelled in my head a little bit. And I'm like, mm. oh my God, I, I don't know if this is intentional, but slow clap, man. For me, yeah. it's a, it's another way that they're tying the two shows together, if not lore-wise, at least thematically. I hadn't made that connection, and you're right, and that's that gives me a new appreciation for those scenes. There were some great moments, and so brief, but very powerful. And I I really want to call out, during those scenes, there's a, there's a, a wonderful moment where Addison's explaining why you joined the service. But it just seems crazy, right? That you have to risk your life. That's the mission, Ben. That's why they call it military service. We dedicate our lives, and yeah, we sometimes risk them in service of something greater. A greater goal than any one of us could accomplish alone. It's rare that I, I see that kind of scene where a soldier or a vet is trying to explain why they joined the military and I'm caught up with it. But it's it's beautifully written and so well performed by Caitlin. And obviously we know Caitlin's background. There's, there's, there's something there personal that she's pulling from. But it, it this uh, we're there in service of something bigger. Again, harkening back to the whole GTFW kind of thing. But it's... Um, yeah, it, it really, I got caught up in it, and I rarely do. I don't get the desire to join the military. It's just not something that I, I can get my head around, and I feel like I almost did then, which is a, a testament to the, the team. And what what I loved about that scene as well, I mean, not only did Caitlin nail it, but I mean, Ben's memory of Addison is giving him the inspiration to bring the people that he's with on the leap together at that moment. So again, all of this stuff was in service of Ben's goal here. Mm -hmm. And I guess maybe another strength, and this is really that I realized, again, trying to rewatch season one and having varying success, just really glomming to the character stuff. There are moments in this where it should have been ridiculous. There's the whole scene where Ben is climbing the hill and talking to Addison. I gotta make it home. I'm gonna make it home. Just gotta figure out what I'm here to do, I assume, is to keep everyone here alive. So if I can get them to safety, can I leap? Can I come home? That should not work, but it really does work because yeah. we're so established with these characters and their relationship with one another and all the back of the project stuff kind of bolstered that so that his dialogue with no one, <laughs> Addison's still there in spirit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I felt her. <laughs> I felt Caitlin there. It was, yeah, weird. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I that's, again, a testament to Raymond as well in, mm -hmm. in the sense that he had a lot of he had a lot of heavy lifting to do here because it was really dependent on him. But I guess that's why you're the star of the series, right? Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, you, you, yes, true. But this this is still his first lead role in a show, and we are still only nineteen episodes into it. This, I mean, this is very similar to Scott Bakula, who hadn't done much TV work when. Quantum came along and was immediately able to elevate himself to leading man material. Raymond, no matter how good we say he is, still I still have to stop and remind myself that, yeah, this this is a guy relatively at the start of a big career shift. And wow, he's doing amazing. Yeah, he is. And um, I feel like he's more comfortable with the character. I feel like he just feels like he's more settled into 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the routine or if it's just a, you know, it's a natural yeah. evolution. That's what it's got to be. But there's something more dynamic about Ben in this episode than we got to see in all of season one. And I, it's probably a combination of all of it, the writing, the acting, the, the familiarity with the characters. And one bit of context that we possibly could have mentioned earlier, just for those listeners that don't recall this, because uh, we've, we've mentioned this before, I'm sure, this episode went into production the day after season one wrapped. So they were they were filming Judgment Day. They wrapped on Judgment Day. The day after that, they were filming on this. So any elevation in the writing or the acting is not because they had a week or a month or two months off. This was a continuous production. It's crazy how these things can happen. I like to think that, and maybe this is me projecting, I don't know. I like to think that by the time season one had wrapped, they had already broken most, if not all, of the first half of season two. Mm -hmm. So they had a very clear idea of where to begin writing and a very clear idea of where the series was going to leave them so they knew exactly how it was that they needed to pick up from those threads and carry them forward in a way that I don't know there was there was that regime change in season 1 and a lot yes. of season 1 just just quite frankly seemed like a show made by committee that was stuck with a premise that it needed to resolve and yeah. every episode was in service of resolving that premise that maybe was a good idea maybe wasn't a good idea but it was what we had this is what we have to work with so let's just make it work but it wasn't their idea. Is is the You're right? That's what I mean. The bottom you know? line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just like this is what we inherited. All right, we're, we have to take it to to the logical conclusion. But here's season two. Clear the decks. Get all that crap out of here. Let's yes. start making the show that we think we want to make. I I don't know how true that is. It just seems to me a plausible situation. I think it for them to have. In terms of the production, for them to have gone straight from one into two, I think it's beyond plausible. It, it's, it absolutely has to have been the case that they must have been running those kind of sessions way before the, the series wrapped. And of course, we, we got the renewal. The renewal was announced late last year. So they, they had, and obviously whatever notice they had before that, they had plenty of time to think about this. I guess, yeah. And to our benefit, right? Yeah, I guess when you know that you're going to be able to come through, and I guess you have at least this many guaranteed episodes. I don't know what the guarantee was at the time. Probably a dozen, maybe. It was uh, 13 with the, the hopes for another five. So, yeah. So, you could think more long term, put a little bit more nuance into it instead of just making it what mystery are we going to have this week? What yeah. what dumb reveal are we going to have to work our way into for this time? And how are we going to, how are we going to mesh the leap and, and the project stuff? Oh, we're not. We're just going to make two no, different not. shows. No. So. We'll just have Magic and Jen stuck in a lift. <laughs> right. And Addison is everywhere. Just everywhere. Yes. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, that's why the back at the project stuff seems so much more um, cogent and thoughtful and relatable to what Ben was going through. And it's just like, oh, finally, you're, you're learning how to do it. Um, I hope, like, that dynamic, they're able to keep that up because, of course, you know uh, – now that we, we've gotten the end that we have, we'll get to. Obviously, I'm hoping we're going to see more back at the project stuff and see what's going on on that end of the world. Yeah. I wonder how they're going to be able to balance that. I'm so curious to know. Where are they? What are they doing? What, where is everybody? Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, uh, I mean, they, yeah, they, they said uh, Ian said at the end, you know, it's, it's been it's been three years, so that, that twist, <laughs> yeah, amazing twist. But have they spent the three years sat there at the project just trying to find Ben? Yeah, what, what's this everything change that they alluded to? We've we've got to see more of the project in the next episode. That tease has to lead somewhere, but where it's going to lead, no idea at this point. Yeah, I, I, I want to talk about that before we do some conjecture on that twist. And yeah, we kind of backdoored into it, I guess. We didn't have the big reveal, no drum roll or anything. But yeah. can we talk a little bit about the leap? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And how fantastic the guest cast was? <gasps> yes. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so before we talk about the guest cast, I've got to point out my, my one reservation about the writing of this episode and maybe people that have been in the military can uh, are listening to this and can correct me. I welcome it, but they seem so unprofessional, even as the kind of the the lowest of the low. They're trying to get out, etc. Really, are there? It, there was some fantastic material and some great lines. It did not feel like something that would happen in reality. I did not care because it was fun and the actors were amazing. But there was still that little voice in the back of my head saying. They're really people in the Air Force behaving like this. I I don't know. You know what? I, it hadn't even occurred to me because it did seem like again so so Suicide Squatty. It's just the ragtag misfits. Yeah. If they'd have been, and I, I know there was kind of a plot reason for it, but if they hadn't have been in civilian outfits, if they'd have been in uniform, talking and behaving the way they did, it would have looked ridiculous. They got away with it because they were undercover. All right, but. I didn't care because, and, and this is this is why I wanted to say it before we segue into the applause for the characters. It was fun. It was interesting. And four fantastic guest actors creating such a good world for us. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, again, uh, kudos. Uh, we had Melissa Roxburgh, who played mm -hmm. the LT, Greer. Um, we had Francois Arnold, who played uh, Bailey. He's the guy who stepped on the landmine. And then the two brothers, which that's when I knew I was going to love the episode. Yeah. The, uh, they were named Abrams, uh, Enoch and Ronnie, but they were played by P.G. Byrne and Aaron Abram. And I don't know which one is which. <laughs> Aaron was Ronnie. P.J. was Enoch. I, I had to look up pictures. Enoch was the one with the glasses. Ronnie was the taller of the two. Yes. They were the entire freaking episode, man. Those two <laughs> and the banter that they had. Such a good double act. Within the first two minutes of them talking to each other, I fell in love with the episode. I said, I am going to love this freaking episode of Quantum Leap. <laughs> yeah, we, we know guest casts and the writing of the guest characters, but the guest cast can make or break a Quantum Leap because that's effectively... This is an anthology show with a couple of recurring... Uh, uh, this goes for the original series and the new series. It's an anthology show that just happens to have a couple of characters looking in. So if the guest cast fails, the whole thing falls apart. And wow. Yeah, I, I agree. I felt the exact same thing about these brothers. They showed up, there was some banter. You know I'm going to find out eventually, right? About what? About the betrayal, whatever this betrayal is. Would you stop it? I was not in my right mind. I lost all that blood. Ronnie, I literally stand next to you 23 hours a day. When would I have time to do any? You can do a lot in an hour. Okay, you're insane. Yeah, that's exactly what a guilty man would say. It was immediately obvious this was a world I wanted to watch for 45 minutes. 
Yeah, the comedy timing between the two of them really elevated the proceedings. And I can point to more conventional things that were in the script as the guest cast, especially the two heavies, Melissa and Francois' characters, were a little bit more typical of, say, like a, a guest plot. Um, someone mm. is, you know, longing for someone that they're missing. But of course, Ben is longing for someone that he's lost as well. So there's that parallel there. And then you have the lieutenant who's in command reminding Ben so much of Addison and making him understand a little bit more of where Addison comes from. So even though some of their elements, I think, were a little bit more cliche, it all worked in service of the bigger story. So uh, that makes it forgivable. And that's not even to say it's bad. It's just to say this is what you would expect. Yeah. From a TV show like Quantum Leap. These are the types of stories. These are the types of guest characters, the types of situations and interrelationships that the Leaper might come up against because they're easy to write and you can fill a good page with it. But to have it jive with everything that's going on with Ben so artfully is, again, what made it better than it should have been. And the performances, of course. Yeah, I, I don't even know where to begin picking apart the performances. I feel like starting with any of them would be a disservice to the others, but I guess one of the highlights for me was Francois on the landmine talking about his love, uh, his partner. A person I told you about, the one I loved and lost. His name was Lieutenant Tom Miller. This is the end, then I just, uh, I needed someone to know that our love was real. It was good. It was pure. Now maybe I get to see him again. Coming out just before he died, it's such a beautiful moment. Again, really well written, but just the way he said this, this the love we had was pure and real. It felt like a very real moment. It was just this, this quiet, just, just a few people out in the middle of nowhere. And he shared that. And it, yeah, it was, it was lovely. And it was great because it shows you where they got to with Ben's help from where they were at in the beginning when the LT was just like, we're staying with the crate because... I was top of my class at the academy and the only thing that I did wrong was not be born a man. They have refused to give me a real mission until now. So I'm going to protect that crate, not just for me, but for every other woman out there serving oh, this country. We so we're going to die because of feminism? No thanks. I'm a big no thanks on that. Hilarious line, very organic to the situation. And then you see where they're at at the end of the episode with Ben's help and Ben drawing on his lessons that he learned from everybody back at the project to trust his gut and to bring everybody together and to find solutions collaboratively you know and mm -hmm. it, i think it, it kind of all started with that landmine which was that was just like a, a neat set piece right it wasn't like they were having a firefight it wasn't like there's so many tropes that you can fall into with like a military type show like this flavor there's no sniper in the bushes trying to get them there's no it's just an obstacle and we're working together to overcome this obstacle even though it's got a military flair it's still more human-centered, or they made it more human-centered. Yeah, it, it's just, it's it's a MacGuffin there to give them the opportunity to talk. And we've seen the, I'm stuck on a landmine, I need to be swapped out so many times. It is such a cliche. Having the, the multiple swap out is not something I think I've ever seen before, so that was cool and new. 
I did find it a little bit unrealistic because that relies on five different. Yeah, like, visually, <laughs> I I, th- I think that will probably work. One of those is a pinch, but five of them, where one of them is sandbags that haven't even been, or, or dirt bags that haven't even been. These are not bags that are in the back of the truck, handily labelled twenty pounds or whatever. These are bags that they are filling up and think that they can just estimate the right weight. It's it's a stretch, but again, doesn't matter because it's in service of a really nice moment. But it took me out a little bit. I gotta be honest. Maybe we watch different shows. Um, I don't think I've ever seen like a landmine swap kind of scenario on a show before so it struck me as a nice bit of ingenuity on ben's part and the fact that he again it's it's almost like the ultimate corporate team building episode like the ultimate trust fall right yes (laughs) yeah i i have definitely not seen it done multiple times in the same the same one and yeah for that 10 out of 10 for the originality there yeah that, that was cool and uh since when has Ben like a, a gearhead? He can he can pull apart and rebuild radios, and I guess gearheads more for cars. But I, I saw him more as like a coder instead of like someone that can also hack together mechanics. Yeah, in in a decent proposal, he talked a little bit about taking apart electronics. I think, but no, oh, did he? Okay, or was that picking locks? Maybe that was picking locks. There was definitely something, yeah, I don't know. This is definitely the first time we've we've heard this specifically about him. And it does seem a bit odd. Uh, Because, yeah, as a kid, you're right, he does seem far more, uh, yeah, a a coder. Someone who might do maths puzzles for fun in his spare time. Not taking hardware apart. But, you know, in service of some good humour. He MacGyvered yeah, it. Yeah, So his, his <laughs> uncle MacGyver. All right, then I'll just uh, find what I need from the wreckage, and I'll just uh, MacGyver it back together. MacGyver? What does that mean? Um, uh, he was my uncle. Yeah, um, so sometimes when I jerry-rig things, I like to say I MacGyver them sometimes. You, you've got an uncle whose name is MacGyver? Yeah, on my mom's side. We don't have to dwell on it. I'm going to go fix this antenna <laughs> <Yes>. now. <laughs> on my just, mother's just, side? Don't, don't. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> so, I mean, that was another thing that should have, like, not worked in the moment, but all of the, you had mentioned it right up top. Everybody brushing aside the never minds, the <laughs> just like, did you hit your head? Or... Chris, what the hell is wrong with you? You don't know people from the future. No, I, I meant if. I think when we're back, we should maybe get your head checked. Uh, I think that crash did a little number on you. Yeah, wait, you're engaged? Since when? Um, First, you're praying and now you're engaged. You should have been keeping a lot of secrets from us. Did you just hit your head real bad? Okay, yeah, never mind about that. He's just acting so out of character for the person he's leapt into, and everybody, because story, they need to yeah. just get by it and brush it off. Which, again, for those those new audience members coming in, they're going to watch this new show they've not seen before and think, why is no one noticing that this person, all right, he, he looks like the person we're familiar with, but he's obviously acting out of sorts. Why does no one notice it? They do notice. And they deal with it. And now we've had some fun with it. Hopefully we won't see that again week after week, but it's established it for this episode. Yes, sometimes Ben screws up and people notice it. We have a laugh. Hmm. All right. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it as a for a broader audience perspective, you know, because I was just glad we're Quantum Leap fans, so we get it. But uh... yeah, we, we had this in Genesis with uh, Peg repeatedly noticing things that Sam was doing weirdly and differently. But then by the time of the, the season openers 
for the rest of the run, you just assume it's only fans watching. So I, I felt it was that. It was another example of if he fits in too cleanly, new audience members aren't going to buy it. Hmm. All right. And usually when I see somebody acting out of sorts, I ask them if they remember the bus accident. And that's usually my <laughs> So <laughs> Everybody go back to Genesis. Um, yeah. yeah. Even though it took me out of it a little bit that all of a sudden Ben is Mr. Tech Savvy, I can build a radio kind of guy, I thought it made for a really great action-oriented ending for the episode. And action's not something I usually care about. I usually like, oh, here we go. Here's a martial arts fight. Let's get through it so that we can get the resolution that we all know is coming. But again, in this one, just because the caliber of the writing and I was so invested in not only Ben, but the other characters and the mission they were trying to accomplish that every twist got me. I mean, when we had that third act twist that um, they realized that their plane was a decoy and now they were going to shoot down three other planes just to be safe. I was like, holy shit, what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. And usually that's just like, oh, there's the third act twist. Okay. Yeah. We knew <laughs> it was coming, but no, I, I got swept up in it. So yeah, did not see that coming. It was, it was, it was an odd experience for me. Odd experience for me. One thing that did make me laugh and took me a little bit out of it. Um, <laughs> Ben is giving a pep talk. I don't know if you're gonna if you're gonna appreciate this because you're such a Brit and uh, you didn't have the same things that we had growing up. But he says that my fiance once told me that when all is lost, the one thing you can do is get back up and put one foot in front of the other. For the life of me, and maybe because I saw it a million times when I was a kid, it reminded me of a Rankin-Bass Christmas special that has a song called Put One Foot in Front of the Other. (laughs) Put one foot in front of the other And soon you'll be walking across the floor Put one foot in front of the other And soon you'll be walking out the door so I was thinking, did Addison watch the same Christmas specials? <laughs> so I, I hope so. I, I don't get the reference, but I know you uh, don't. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm for sure going to check that out. That, that sounds like something that should be canon. It should be canon. Yes, I always miss Allison when she's not here. Now doubly so because I think she might have gotten it. But there are people out there who know what I'm talking about. Especially since you just heard the song, I dropped a little bit in. So. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I had that little Rankin Bass moment. Put one foot in front of the other. I think that was the year without a Santa Claus, if I'm correct. Mm. Maybe, maybe. Anyway. Again, Alison would totally have already mentioned the name of it. Tell me that you know what Rankin Bass is, though. Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. At least you got that context. Yeah, that's, that's it, though. Little stop motion Rudolph. That's Rankin Bass, for anybody that doesn't oh. know. Oh, Yes, that, and that specifically makes more sense. But yeah, you're right. I, I, if we did get that stuff over here, <laughs> pass me by. So yeah, I mean, that's neither here nor there. Thank you for indulging me and my Rankin-Bass memories. You're welcome. That's what we're here for. Yes, we support one another. I mean, that was the whole lesson that we learned in this sleep is how we trust our gut and support one another and learn how much everybody weighs in case we, as a group, collectively step on a landmine. Yeah, I hope me and you and Alison are not ever in that situation because I <laughs> I have no idea how much I weigh. I'm not about to guess how much either of you two weigh for fear of causing <laughs> offence. Basically, one of us is on a landmine, the other two walk away. It's just, we're done. That's, that's right. Nice knowing you. <laughs> well, thanks, Matt. 
it's, it's not out of lack of caring, but I have no idea if I'm within £20 of you. I'm not entirely sure I'd even trust some guy saying, yeah, it can cope with a weight change of up to about £20. <laughs> I mean, no. I, sorry, I, de- death by feminism. Fine by that. <laughs> So, I mean, there were two more um, sort of callbacks that we haven't discussed yet. One is that not only does Ben, in his flashback with magic, mention Al, basically he mentions Donna. You think when Sam got into the accelerator, he knew he maybe wouldn't come back? It's hard to say. Just keep thinking about his wife and Al. So, yeah, now they're acknowledging that not only is Donna known to them there at the mm-hmm. project, but potential Donna sighting this season? The first thing I thought when that happened was, damn, they've just decanonized Chris's bit of fanfic. Because cause you, you successfully wrote Donna out of Sam's life. And look, there we go. She, she's back again. No, but she popped back in. Spoilers. Spoilers for a 30-year-old novel. This isn't even the novel. I'm talking about... Um, oh, which oh, one? What's the, the literal fanfic. I would not call foreknowledge fanfic. Foreknowledge uh, is not fanfic. <laughs> You're talking about somewhere between Limbo and Lightning. Uh, that was a total one. bit of fanfic. Yeah, I think that yes. you can find that on Al's Place if anybody wants to read my post-mirror image short story that does write Donna out of the continuity because it's what Sam would do. And you should. It's a great piece of work. But yes, that was actually the first thing that came to mind before even thinking, oh, well, actually, to be fair, she's in all the novels. So of course, she's still around. I don't know why the first thing I thought was uh, Between Limbo and Lightning. (laughs) Okay, Donna's still around then. Yeah, well, I mean, she's still around. They hadn't read my story. Had they read my short story, again, alsplace.com. I think Brian still is good enough to have it hosted over on uh, Al's Place Quantum Leap fan site. So yes, take a look at it. I was happy with it when I wrote it. Matt's in tears over it. Matt's a fan. He gushes. I I love that piece. He gushes about that story like I gush about this episode. (laughs) I love that that piece more than I love foreknowledge. Uh, But we'll we'll get to that in a future recording. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be... I'll talk to you about that next year, sir. (laughs) Cool, can't wait. Uh, Yeah, back to the point you were trying to make before I started talking about fan fiction. Yes. So great to hear. So, so we've we've had Al, uh, we've had Donna, not by name. So, I guess Beaks next week. Maybe should we get a reference to Beaks? Gushy, maybe Gushy, maybe Leon Styles. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> so fan casting now. Do we want if they do feature Donna like they featured Beth in season one? Do we want them to bring Mimi back or do they bring Terry back? We've spoken about this before. I still, I always think of Mimi as Donna in my head because I saw Leap Back so many times before I saw Starcrossed. But ah, it's Terry Hatcher, man. Bring Terry Hatcher back. <laughs> Sorry, Mimi. That's harsh, but I have no idea who you are outside Quantum Leap. Yeah, the only thing I've ever seen her in other than Quantum Leap, and you didn't even really get to see her, but I think she was in season one of Disco when Tilly is playing holographs of her mom talking to her. I guess they were maybe like letters from home or whatever. And you see this character's back, but it's Mimi's voice. Oh. So she plays Tilly's mean mom on Disco. That's the last thing I saw her in. And what was that? That was four seasons ago, right? Yes. Yeah. Which in real terms is about eight years. Yeah. And then what are we talking about? What's the last thing Terry was in? Desperate Housewives? I don't even know. I have no clue. I don't follow Terry Hatcher. So I'm sure our fans out there can tell us, our listeners. 
who are Terry Hatcher fans. Yes. Hey, yeah, that'd be great. So we want to hear from you guys. Who who do you want to see if they do bring Donna back since they're sort of saying that she exists still in the universe yeah. somewhere? They didn't say she wasn't dead, though. No. And it, this could be setting up, again, all we've seen back at the project in this episode is Ian not back at the project in the imaging chamber saying, everything's changed. Is Ian going to step out at the start of the next episode into Project HQ and find an aging Donna, Gushy, all, all of the crew there, <laughs> helping them locate Ben? Her frying pan is rusty. Yes. <laughs> oh, the frying pan. Again, we, we backdoored into it and we haven't really talked about it. That twist. Why are you looking at me like that? Ben, it's, it's been three years. You've been missing for three years. And then they shut down Project Quantum Leap. We thought that you were dead. Everything has changed. My jaw dropped. I was flabbergasted because I was having such a good time with the episode. <laughs> right. That I had no freaking it was like huh <laughs> i yeah. mean that was that was fantastic now that in itself could be gimmicky i don't know but in the moment it was just like holy shit yes and, and we got so although we we knew like yeah ben needs to make connection with the project but broadly speaking for 41 minutes we'd got so invested in the leap that when ian showed up it was just great ian's there that there wasn't enough time to process anything and then what, within 10 seconds of that, they dropped. Uh, I mean, the, the the look on Ian's face just immediately sold, shit, something's coming. Like, I got chills. When This is not just, we've been looking for you. There's something else going on here. And wow, yeah, that line. Yeah, it was a bomb. It was a bombshell. I loved it. And that means now we're back in original series territory. The project is set in the near future, which means we can yeah. have crazy ass fashions. We, exactly, we can, I was thinking uh, about that too. <laughs> it's so good. It's, it's twenty twenty six now. This is the the nineteen ninety nine of the original series. <laughs> I really want to see some uh, some funky ties. I want to mm -hmm. see some zoot suits that are uh, made out of uh, gold lame. Uh, With holes in, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, with weird cutouts, and I'm very excited. I'm very excited to see what the hell's going on back there. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I felt like that when we were talking to Dean and he was playing everything close to the vest and he couldn't tell us anything. This is the thing he was dying to tell us. He was dying to let us know about this, and he never did because he couldn't. But there was a little bit too much of like too much impish energy about him. You can tell he loves this twist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. And this is something that has been bugging me for months because I th I think I mentioned on the show, if I didn't, I'll, I'll explain it now. Back in February, I was in LA and I had been trying for ages to get a set visit while I was there. And in the end, the answer came back, no, not because of COVID rules, but because I would stumble on a twist that was too big. I was like, come on, guys, you can trust me. No. <laughs> this didn't even come from Dean. This came from NBC saying, no, set closed wow okay and it's been bugging me since what what is it that they could not risk some random fan knowing about well there we go there we go yeah so yeah. now we all know and uh the thing is we only know we don't know a goddamn thing other than that and it's just it's frustrating but it's exciting and 
So I, I, I know we've been kind of all over the place, but I feel like I've said everything that I have to say about this took too long. Are there any points that I didn't bring up or that we haven't discussed that you want to get into? There is one thing that we haven't talked about. And we've gone huh? through this episode from beginning to end. We've focused on the end a little bit. We haven't gone back to the beginning of the episode. Deborah Pratt, Saga Cell. <gasps> oh, yeah. That's a good place to end, right there at the beginning. Yes. This is time travel. We can do this. <laughs> it was nice to see because um, that, again, harkened back just the DNA and, again, getting Deborah in. And yeah. I guess maybe this is because – okay. All right. It was nice to hear her voicing Ziggy again in the second season. But so far, we've only gotten flashbacks to before the incursion point, right? From season one. Yes. At the end of season one, it almost seemed like Ziggy had become the enemy and they had taken Ziggy completely offline and it was just like they were talking now about the accelerator wanting things as if the accelerator had somehow become sentient and invested in the future of mm -hmm. you know Ben and the project. And Ziggy was a persona non grata because apparently Ziggy was the one that told Martinez to come back and kill everybody. Yes. So <laughs> – I mean, how do we fix that? <laughs> yeah. I, I, again, this could be part of the everything. everything's changed. We've got to see what's happening with Ziggy for real. But in the meantime, we've got Deborah's voice being Deborah's voice. So, And the saga cell, um, if it indeed becomes the saga cell for the rest of the season, is so reminiscent of the original saga cell. <laughs> well, literally quoting from it in places. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That gave me a little bit of a thrill when it first came up because yeah. it was just like, well, there's Deborah and there's Quantum Leap right there. Everything that we know and love about the original series coming through right in the beginning. So maybe this marks some kind of paradigm shift. Mm. And uh, by everything that followed in this episode, we're clearly in different waters here. So. I'm, I'm hoping that that DNA stays through and they're able to build on it for season two and maybe make a show that's a little bit more recognizably connected to the first quantum. For sure. Good place to end the analysis, I think. End of the analysis, sure, but uh, let's get a final thought, Matt. Yeah, I like you, I came into this with um, some trepidation but high hopes for, for all the reasons that we've talked about. I was not disappointed. I, I almost hoped that we'd come into this recording with you having hated it so that uh, you, <laughs> you could maybe highlight some flaws that I'd not seen because gushing is fun, but uh, so, so is having a balanced view. Now I've discovered that balanced view is this episode rocked, as it should do. It's a season opener. You've got to go in strong, and it has. So, yeah, long live this season. Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm on 100 with you on that one, man. It's um really uh, you ever get that sort of that feeling as a fan when you go in and you want so desperately for something to be good, and then you are so pleasantly surprised that not only is it as good as you had <laughs> hoped, but it exceeded your expectations, and that yes. is a very rare thing. I can only count on yeah. maybe you know like on one hand maybe three instances in which that has happened to me, and. I'm going to go on record and okay, I'm gushing now. This was one of those times. I mean, I yeah. was, I didn't know what to expect. I was cautiously optimistic, but ready to be disappointed, to be quite frank. And they completely blew me away. So yeah, I mean, bravo, great 
first episode. I hope that we can keep the momentum going throughout the season and really grow this into something that is akin to the phenomenon of the original one, in my own mind anyway. So, yes. all right. Wow. Great talk, Matt. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that uh, will close the book on our discussion of this took too long, but do not go anywhere because after the break, we will bring you our interview with Chris Grismer. Stay tuned. The QLP is brought to you by listeners like you. Please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and give as much as you can. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be a contributor to the Quantum Leap Podcast. It goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going. Thank you. Are you a fan of the Apple TV show For All Mankind? Then you'll love Moon Show, a For All Mankind podcast, which you can find on the Infinite Potato Alliance Podcast Network. I'm your host, Nick Yeager. And each week I discuss successive episodes of For All Mankind with a rotating panel of guests. Join us and catch up on seasons one through three before season four premieres in November. Moon Show, a For All Mankind podcast. Moon Show, you are go for launch. This is Raymond Lee and you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Chris Grismer, Chris Grismer. It almost rhymes. It rolls off the tongue. Yes. It's much better than Chris DeFilippis. That rhymes too. <laughs> Which apparently I can't say. I, <laughs> I don't know why I tried introducing you. I've never done that before. I'm not going to do I that know. again. I think you were a little nervous. It was our first interview back. So yeah. yeah. Hi, everyone. We're back. Hey, <laughs> you made it through the break and here we are. We're still here. Yeah. It's funny because Matt never introduces me and we've been <laughs> podcasting together for, I don't know, five years now and he couldn't say my name. So <laughs> I've, I've never tried saying it out loud. I've never said your name out loud in my life. It just suddenly felt very strange. I realized that I could have tried to stop you, but I was having too much fun watching you squirm a little bit. So, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, my friend. You're I love welcome. you. So now you know why I introduced myself almost exclusively as Christopher DeFilippis, both on mic and in person, because when I say Christy Philippus, it kind of sounds like Christy Philippus. Yeah. And people have said, oh, hello, Christy. It's like, do I look like Christy? Hey, hey, this is about me as usual, and it shouldn't be. It should be about the other Chris. The other Chris. Yes. So without further ado, here is our interview with Chris Grismer. Hey, this is Matt Dale and Christopher DeFilippis with the Quantum Leap podcast, and we're here today with Chris Grismer. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, now, Chris, I, I think a lot of people will recognize from seeing in the opening credits, uh, amongst a long list of executive producers, uh, there's a whole team of producers on the show, but we know, uh, we've heard you referred to by, by Dean and others as the directing producer. So we know there's something a little bit different about what you do, uh, compared to the rest of the, the executive team there. So perhaps we could just start by asking simply, what is it, what is it you do on the show? What's, what's your, What's your part? Yeah, uh, technically, I'm the directing producer on the show. So uh, mm-hmm. the directing producer kind of oversees the the directors. Um, with Martin, we hire the directors. The show with Martin and Dean, we hire the uh, directors, and then I kind of make sure that um, we have a solid look for the season. That we have um, 
similar language being spoken, especially in HQ. And also I'm there to inspire the directors to kind of push them to um, find their voice. And we want each story to be unique. So we sort of push them in that direction. Um, also, we kind of do the directing producer does a bit of pre-production that the directors wouldn't be there for, like finding initial locations so they we can streamline their experience once they arrive. Hmm. So you had said you are charged with giving the season a solid look. Can you, well, can, can you explain not, not what necessarily. that means? It's, it's more like it's what our show is different in other shows than other shows, because um, a lot of shows, they have a certain language that they want spoken with every episode. And there's things you don't do. Sometimes you arrive and the producing director tells you, um, you know, we don't do shots like that. We don't do shots like that. This is our color palette, etc. Where our, our show is very different because each episode is its own little movie. It's a new leap. It's a new, uh, unique story. So we want the directors to find inspiration in that and create a unique, um, look for the show and come up with a new language almost every episode. So, um, it's a lot of fun that way. And it's a little different in that we're not telling people not to do things. We're encouraging them to find those things within the story. So when you are doing this, I, I assume that you have to, um, when, when you're, first of all, when you're getting directors, if you can talk about that process, that's always fascinated me because when you have a rotating, uh, crew of directors, are there some that you try to work with more than others or how, how do these names get, get chosen? How, how do you get these people to do these episodes? Well, everyone has a list, um, the studio, the network, Martin, Dean, myself, we all have people we really like and that we've worked with before. And then slowly those lists get whittled down. Some people have like, well, that person didn't do a great job for us here, or we're not fans or we're giant fans of them. And then the names sort of, sort of float to the surface that everybody likes. And then you try them out. And then when they hit it out of the park, which has generally happened for us, then we try to have them back. You, you've talked a little bit about uh, what, what you currently do for the show. Uh, maybe I can now ask you to go back to the start and, and ask how you got involved in the show to start with. Uh, what's, what's your history with Martin and Dean? I don't have much of a history with Martin and Dean. Um, I knew Martin's name and Dean's name before I started on the show. Um, the original showrunners, uh, Brian and Stephen, on the show, I did a show with them years ago, one of my first directing gigs especially in the sci-fi realm was a show called Kyle XY that I did for them. And so we'd remained in touch and, uh, they, you know, they, I was one of a few candidates that came forward for the directing producer position and interviewed and pitched out my ideas. And then they brought me on to, to sort of produce the first pilot and then, uh, continue from there. Uh, the second pilot, the second pilot, not the first. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the first pilot became my episode six that I directed. All right. So I think we're both really curious about the process that went into episode six, considering mm -hmm. that you had to, I guess, what, you used some footage that had already been produced, and then you mm -hmm. had to put it all together with, like, with just this glorious mashup. Of, uh, of stuff to make this episode. Um, we're, we're so curious to know what went into um, getting that because it looked great in the end. Yeah. Uh, well, I think Martin and Dean in the writer's room did a great job of taking what they had and going and finding a new story and finding what we, then we looked at what footage we had and where we could um, fill in the holes and how to cover that. Like we need a close up of this person with this background to make this work. I think we ended up using 18, to 20 minutes, 18 minutes of original footage. 
from the first episode, and then the rest was all um, shot on the back lot and around the back lot. And as well as that, kind of the the technical aspect of of putting that all together and the writing aspect, did you find that you were leaning more into? Okay, well, this is what Helen Shaver did. This was her style. I need to do something that complements that. And maybe going in a different direction than you would have been naturally inclined to? To some extent. I mean, mostly the color palette. We had to stick with that and how it was lit. Um, We wanted it to not be jarring. Um, But we also had a new language for the show by that point in terms of our close-ups and our movement and character movement. So we did, you know, we just, we took what we could um, from her pilot, and then we um, sort of brought in the new look of the show, and uh, and uh, made the two fit together. One thing that uh, we as fans really geeked out over was the introduction of yet another hand link, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we were happy to see that prop. So, I mean, w- when you talk about like the look of the show. And you see how I think what a disaster and that original pilot did look somewhat different. What were the the things that you were conscious of? Like, like say, like props, like that hand link, or is that what you mean when when you say like establishing the language? The language is more like in terms of camera. Uh, for me, it was in terms of the camera movement. Like, when's the camera moving? How much are the characters moving while they're speaking? Um, how you know that that's sort of the language of the show, and also in terms of the framing, our framing was much different than uh, the, the new framing is much different than the original framing of the the first uh, mm-hmm. pilot. But um, in terms of the hand links and things like that, no, we just, I think that no one was happier with that original hand link <laughs> design. You know, truthfully, I've done a, a few sci-fi shows and that is the, I, every time someone designs something that's a communication device that's supposed to be in the future, they always look exactly like that. <laughs> and so I think, I think um, everyone was happy to see that one go and, and is much happier mm. with the new, the new design, <laughs> which was a lot of fun to be a part of designing that. Um, so, yeah. You know, when we did Killjoys, we had, I did the show Killjoys sci-fi show and we had designed all these things and they all, every, every prototype comes in and looks exactly like that. So. <laughs> and here I thought it was a little bit reminiscent of the original series handling because at least it had some colors in it. You guys went yeah. in a completely different direction with the hockey puck. We call it the hockey puck handling. On the, the hockey show. puck. Well, it's, it's got some turquoise and some green and it's, yeah, mm-hmm. and colors come out of it. Yeah. <laughs> But that nice yeah. little circular shape, it's, it is, it's yeah. got a uniqueness to it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so perhaps we could talk a little bit about, um, you know, you obviously you had this role looking after the whole of, of season one and season two, and we really want to get on to talking about season two for sure. I'm, I'm trying to hold back. Um, but uh, during season one, you also had uh, your own episodes that you were assigned to direct, or I guess you assigned yourself to direct. You know, um, I, how, how, how did you get those particular gigs? Well, that's really Martin and Dean. Um, once we have the directors that we want to use, Martin and Dean kind of look at people's... They, they know what's coming better than I do mm-hmm. in the writer's room because um, I just have to wait for them to tell me what's coming. Um, but they, they'll they look at the, the director's strong suits and, oh, this person, like, Pamela is an unbelievable director for uh, Leap, Die, Repeat. She'd be great with the meticulous nature of this. So, you know, that, that those sort of um, assignments come from them. And they assigned me. I was lucky enough to get assigned the ones I, I was assigned. So, And usually the, the directing producer will take 
the the ones that are like mid-season finales and things that might have need extra time that you wouldn't have because a lot of directors are they're just there for eight days before eight prep days and it's not enough time sometimes to prep a big finale or prep a show that travels or you know it's so it, anything that requires extra time and care usually goes to the directing producer on the show well, maybe we, for the for the benefit of the audience listening, uh, we can run down the episodes that you did direct in season one. Um, you you had Oh Ye of Little Faith, you had the aforementioned What a Disaster, uh, you had SOS, the one with Brandon Routh, uh, one of my favorites. I got to talk to Superman thanks to you, and yeah. uh, Judgment Day, the finale. So, um, I guess that's where, like you said, when it comes in the the more important episodes, they're going to get you for say like a Judgment Day. And I remember back to the original series when Don Belisario used to direct all of the finales and uh, and the opens most times. So yeah, I can I can now kind of see the inner workings of that. Yeah, it's just it's it's really it's not necessarily they're assigning them to me because they're more important. It just honestly is because sometimes it's because either the vibe fits me properly or it's mm-hmm. because it's going to require like a two weeks extra prep. And honestly, it just, it comes down to the fact that you don't have to pay me for those extra two weeks of prep. <laughs> You'd have to pay a director to come in. So, I, I imagine SOS particularly would have been quite prep heavy. Would, would that be a correct assumption? Okay. All right. Yeah. Very prep heavy. You <laughs> the know, look on your face. Yeah, so. no, it was, it was, it was amazing. And I, I loved doing that episode and, you know, the initial, sort of journeys to the boat with Dean and with other, and with um, Alex, we, you know, just kind of go and wander around and what about something here? And what about something here? And this works and maybe we build this. And, um, there's this guy at the boat who is like, was the electrician, I think in the seventies on, on the mm-hmm. ship, like when it was, he was still in the Navy and he works there still. And so one day he was, I had just was touring the ship, looking at interesting places to shoot and he pulls out this key ring. He goes, you want to see some stuff that no one's allowed to see? And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> you get to go and see all these old, weird rooms full of equipment that's still still functioning. It was really interesting. Was there a part of you while you were doing that thinking, oh, I'd love to shoot here. This would be so much fun. Look at the, yeah, no, the angles, the lighting. Yeah, some of it is perfect, but it, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, their combat rooms are very, very small. So definitely mm-hmm. the part of me that is going to be on set for those 12 hours was like, let's build this. Let's build something that looks <laughs> a lot like this, but it's on a very roomy stage. I, I guess that makes sense. What I really like about this new iteration of the show is the fact that Ben can leap beyond his own lifetime. And as a result, we've had leaps far back i think they're they're going to the salem witch trials in season two but let's again sticking with season one you directed i think ben's furthest leap back yet that we've seen on screen which was oh ye of little faith so when when you're approaching that 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 30s style do you bring a different uh, mentality to it like how i guess my my uh, the broader question is when you see the episodes that you get do the time periods influence the way you approach the look the time period definitely and the genre and the the way that time period has been expressed in cinema previously all sort of influenced how I wanted to capture that one and truthfully a big part of that of the influence for that one was I just had to find a house to shoot in on the lot that could work as that house and the ones that were presented to me were like that were shootable 
there's not a lot like you think that that big lot like Universal they're gonna have a ton of houses that you can shoot inside and there's a few but there's they're not they're generally finished on the outside for like you know big street scenes but they're not a lot of them that are finished on the inside and so um, I was looking around and there was one that <laughs> the one that we ended up shooting in is was considered unsafe and it wasn't really finished inside um, and they shot uh, best little whorehouse in Texas in it. And, um, I, when we walked in, I was like, let's just look in there. We, we went in and looked our, our amazing location managers. Like Dan was like, let's just take a, a peek. And it was just perfect. And I was like, if, if universal can make this safe for us, cause we can't afford to do that, then, <laughs> then we can, um, shoot in here. And that, house sort of spoke to the language of how we wanted to capture it as soon as we had that and that huge stairwell and everything just kind of felt it feels like my parents house in toronto truthfully it feels like kind of semi-haunted you know irish family just moved and has everything sort of stuffed into the walls so it felt uh it uh it, it sort of created the language for us helped create the language for us so that episode the the exteriors were were the same house yeah yeah, the exterior. So you guys, but the exterior shot is right. outside ended. Yeah, we did. But the uh, if you step on the, uh, you can't look from the deck like we did. We had to go shoot that like over their backs was a different location, and looking at them because it's right on the road there, so you can't really look out. From it. So mo- moving on from a year of little faith, I I know you you, you complimented uh, Pamela's excellent work on leap die repeat, and you you said that 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 kind of meticulous style was perfect for her. A meticulous is certainly one of the words that I'd use to describe Judgment Day. And I'm I'm really interested in the process that goes behind preparing for something like that that has multiple time frames in the same physical location with the same actors, plus two Caitlins on a split screen and with a double all that kind of stuff that that must have been one of the more complex shoots. What can you tell me about how you prepare for something like that? Um, well, there was a lot of preparation for that one. Um, and it was, it was, a it was a moving target to some extent. We were figuring it out as we went a little bit in terms of what was the future going to look like? Cause you could go so many different ways with that. And thankfully we went a little bit more primitive, which helped us. So you don't have to create all this future tech, which I know a lot of, you know, it's, it's a tough, that's a tough thing to create. Um, especially on a television, um, timeline. You know, to spend so much time. Well, what is it? Because so, things are already moving so quickly right now. Just looking at the dome opening in Las Vegas this weekend. Um, it's just like the technology is just beyond right now. But um, we just spent a lot of time um, trying to create what it, what what was HQ going to look like then? What would be happening? And that such beautiful stuff with it snowing in there. And so I had drawings made of what that could be from, like, of like what the, like what, what it would look like in there. So we did a bunch of uh, preliminary drawings with our uh, sketch team. And um, from there, then we had to sort of, once we had the scenes, uh, I had to figure out how to shoot them and using, we use motion control which is something I used on Orphan Black when I did that show because um, we had multiple um, multiple characters, multiple of the same actor playing, you know, mm. different characters in the frame. This was much easier than doing six of them, say, that they have to do in Orphan <laughs> Black. Um, but it still requires, you know, what we were lucky we found we could actually cast a an actor to play, um, to, to play Caitlin uh, when she wasn't, 
when she was acting opposite. So we didn't have, she wasn't just playing off nothing when it was, you know, when, when it's in the split screen. So we cast a very, very good actor, um, who actually looked very similar to her. <laughs> it was very strange. She actually, there's some of her in the episode. You can see her when she runs out of the, out of the restaurant. That's actually the, well, <laughs> now I've got to go back and watch. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So they were so very, so similar. I was going to, I was going to change it out and I was like, no, she looks perfect. So, um, there's that little, uh, yeah, Easter egg there, but, um, yeah, it was, it was, and it was great to have an actual actor in that, in that chair across from her, because sometimes, you know, shows will cheap out a little bit. So it was nice that we spent the money and not have an actor there. So it's just, they're just basically acting to a, a sandbag or a tennis ball or something, mm-hmm. but you're not getting anything back from the other actor. So that's what helped make that episode so special as well. So I guess the question I have for that, maybe this is too technical. I don't know if you can explain how it works, but in the center of the frame, when you have those split screens is Raymond and he is reacting to both Caitlin's. How do you do that where it just looks as seamless as it does? Because if he's holding someone's hand at the table, who's not Caitlin, but it is Caitlin or, you know, like I don't understand how you put them together. Yeah, there's a little bit of VFX in there, but we also have motion control is like a moving split screen. So basically it's a, it's a robotic camera arm um, that moves and does the exact same move multiple times, as many times as you want. It's exact. So you can actually just um, pull somebody out and then you can put the another person in and they'll pass them and then you can cut your seam right when it gets past their body and it becomes a new part of the scene. So it's it's, I don't know if that's explaining it well enough. It's kind of like a, like a green screen a little bit in that you can, you can pull out the background a little bit. Right. I, let's put it this way. I understand it more now than I ever have. So it'd be great to see it in <laughs> it's, action. It's like I think moving, now I can, like now I can somewhat envision screen. it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it's not like a moving split screen is all it is. Yeah. For all the, for all the Luddites out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's fair to say Chris and I are huge fans of Back to the Future so it's uh, to, to us it's like thinking about how they did a lot of those complex shots in Back to the Future 2 but obviously with a couple of decades more of, uh, of technological yeah. advancements so I, you, yes. you read my mind Matt I was, I was yeah, thinking I, of exactly that. you were thinking the, <laughs> the McFly family scenes yes, it is yes. kind of just magic like a lot of the time if you have a matching hair and you just are sort of half over someone's face and Caitlin's there. If you half over the double's face, you feel like your mind just wants that to be Caitlin. So you just you just see what what we're te- what we're telling you to see. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So maybe sometimes you're cheating it, but we don't notice in our brain. Exactly. It's blind. a little bit of a little oh, bit of cool. trickery. Yeah. I think I, I'm going to have to start moving us towards season two now because I, and, and particularly because I'm, I noticed you, you mentioned about, um, maybe you can't talk about this, I don't know, but I've got to ask. You mentioned about how going further into the future creates some problems uh, because things move so fast and how do you know what the future is going to look like? We have just seen an episode where we've discovered that the project is now three years in the future. Is this something that's... That, is is going to be considered throughout the series because oh, we're now in the near future effectively is that going to change the look of the the present day yeah well you can see in the trailer a bit that people have a little bit of a different look this year and i don't know how long we'll spend in the mm-hmm. in the near future the three years in the future but um suffice it to say we'll spend some time there 
Okay. Cool. All right. So, I mean, as, as classic series fans, that near future <laughs> time is just is perfect for us. It's very, yeah. very exciting. We're we're hoping that we come back and uh, everybody has like Al's outfits on and like the, the funky ties, <laughs> neon and earrings, and the, and yeah, neon exactly. earrings, like the LED earrings, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the Lego so we'll, hand link we'll, comes back. Right. We can <laughs> we can dream, can't we? We can dream. Yeah. So. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, so you are um, the director for, I believe, uh, Closure Encounters, which is Mm -hmm. episode three. Um, As you said, a lot of it uh, showed up in the trailer that we got. And, uh, Matt, what was the year on that one? Uh, Some late 40s, I think. Late 40s, okay. But but apparently about aliens. I mean, with with a name like that, and then talking about Area 51. (laughs) Yeah, it's 1949 New Mexico. And it's it's Project Sign, which is uh, uh, sort of a Project Blue Book episode. Okay, all right. That you can see sort of in the trailer. So yeah, what, what we saw in the trailer was uh, bits of what looked like uh, a, a classic alien abduction going on, maybe. And I'm just wondering, wh- without giving away too much of what's going to come in the next two weeks, were you, were you influenced in your choices by shows like The X Files and stuff like that? Because it looked like some of those kind of the colours, especially, and the ca- I, I know I'm talking about five seconds worth of footage from a trailer here, but um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was that? It's what we do with podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, no, it's it's it's. Um, I was definitely influenced, in, and I turned to those. Um, Close Encounters is such a huge movie for me mm-hmm. um, in my childhood, and I loved how the I loved how the lights from those things you can see in the trailer we sort of um, imitated as much as we could. Um, but it uh, it was yeah, definitely that. I'm a huge X Files fan. Huge, you know. Uh, Art Bell fan, anything sort of alien-like, which used to be science fiction, but I guess now it's just science um, declassified. I think. Um, but it was uh, it was a lot of fun to to tackle that investigation, and I think uh, especially a science fiction audience is really going to like it. Cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm holding out hope that it's a sequel of some somehow to Starlight, Starbright, and. Uh, <laughs> Maybe Sam will get a, a UFO. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always loved in the original series the um, the episodes where you didn't quite know if everything had been explained. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of cherish. That's why I loved in, um, you know, Oh Ye of Little Faith as well. There were some moments you're like, I don't think that explains it. You know, so yeah, um, I, lo- I love those moments. Oh yeah, we we're still not convinced that the apparitions that Ben was seeing, even though he was drugged, were all Janice. There was something mm-hmm. else going on there, some some kind of yeah. boogeyman stuff going on there. Yeah. And I think the other thing that stood out in the trailer, and uh, I, I don't know if this is one of your episodes, so um, how much you can share, I'm not sure, but uh, it looked like there's some location filming going on in Egypt, uh, which whether that was your episode or not, I guess would have been a yeah, that, that big was my deal. Episode. I was, yeah. Oh, okay, oh. great. Yeah, we went so to Egypt. What can you tell us about going to Egypt? <laughs> um, well, I went there to scout on my own about a month before we shot, got very sick. Um, uh, it was, it was, um, it was really, uh, one of the best shoots of my life. I've shot, I shot a movie in Japan years ago and that was a lot of fun, but this was, uh, it was chaotic and very satisfying. And I think we got, we got to shoot in places that most people don't even get to go visit. 
um, because the government was sort of beside us at every every turn, which was mm-hmm. a blessing yeah. and a curse, you know. <laughs> um, but it was uh, it was really really amazing. We we hired a local crew and we brought our actors and wardrobe, hair and makeup and um, ad and cinematographer and just kind of went for it. And it, I think it's a really really unique, satisfying episode. If, if I may, I, I believe in the trailer, Ben is walking in front of a pyramid. Were you guys on the Giza Plateau? We were. Yeah, we were all over Giza and in front of the Sphinx. And, yeah. And they, they offered for us to, they brought brought us down into catacombs and, do you want to shoot down here? Well, it seems like a lot more work down here in the catacombs, <laughs> carrying cameras and, you know, but we shot in a lot of really interesting places. So. Oh, that's cool. So I, I missed the catacomb tours when I was there, so... They fill up real quick. You shouldn't take yeah. advantage of it. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. A lot of those kind of shots that Chris is talking about these days seem to be happening in Mandalorian-style wall environments. So to actually volume go out stages. there and do it, yep. volume stages, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, I my first assumption was that it was that, and then uh, I started hearing that it, it had actually been a location shoot. So that's – was there ever any consideration of doing that back at home? Oh, yeah. There, there's consideration. You know, the great thing we have is, you know, Martin and Dean aren't big on um, just everything being VFX, especially, you know, if you have the Mandalorian's time, like, what do they have, like, 25 years per episode? or I don't know what their time <laughs> is. I'm not sure. But they, we don't have that kind of time. So um, we our, our visual effects are going to end with, for something like that, are going to end with, I guess we have to air this. Like, that's where it's going to end. It's not going to be, like, nailed it. You know, so, um, and also Martin especially is really big on using, um, special effects and miniatures and things from, uh, using all the tools that we have throughout the history of cinematic storytelling. And so it's really fun. We can embrace, we can go to real locations, we can use miniatures, we can use visual effects, you know, just waiting for the all puppet episode, which I'm sure is coming. (laughs) I think it's really funny that you had mentioned earlier in the interview that technology is moving at such a fast pace. It's almost a nightmare scenario to create something like a plausible future. But here we are at a time when we all assumed that Ben was being green screened. The fact that you actually flew out to a location seems so impossibly quaint to me. And the fact that you're saying it's actually faster and easier to fly all the way to freaking Cairo <laughs> to do one episode rather than get it done somehow with VFX on the lot is it's, it's fascinating to me. Well, that's a huge process. Well, like we're still, you know, the director's guild is trying to figure out creatively what it means for directors to be a part of that kind shooting because you do have to be a part of the shots months before you actually step onto the stage because the sets are created the camera movements are created for that set you know and so that happens all in uh in the various uh visual effects houses before you step on stage so you have to really be a part of it and it's months months beforehand that it requires um so we don't really have that time on a network television schedule We had discussed, again, the possibility. We don't know what the project's going to look like when we come back. But if we can maybe discuss the the process that went into, if you can, if you know, of trying to bring maybe some feeling of the classic series to the new series. In this first episode, um, we got to see Addison being scanned in her Fermi suit. Uh, I guess so that she could be uh, 
present in the imaging chamber for Ben when he was observing her. Uh, this is before everything happened with Martinez. So that's right there, a callback to the classic series. Are there other connective elements that you guys are conscious of that you try to bring in to keep the DNA of the original somewhat for the new series? That's, I mean, I, I see it materializing and you'll see some of it materializing a little bit more in this season. Um, but that's definitely a Martin and Dean question because I know that Martin is, uh, um, especially, uh, wound up in how that sort of, uh, story is kept, uh, sort of sewn into what we're doing. I see. Well, that gives me hope. Now I got it. Yeah. I can't wait to see episode two. <laughs> <laughs> so on, on the topic of episode two, then, uh, maybe we can start to wrap up just by throwing forwards. We've got, um, I, as we understand it, at least another seven episodes, uh, maybe more, depending on, on how things go with the strike. Uh, what can you what can you tease the, the fans with for what we've got to look forward to for the next couple of months? Um, well, I think this season we have, you know, we've wrapped up the Martinez, Leaper X, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what it's going to offer us is a chance to spend more time within the leaps themselves, which I really, really like. I, like, I loved an episode, uh, in OE of Little Faith when we could spend a lot of time in the leap with Ben. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think this season especially has a lot bigger, um, sort of more emotional, more exciting leaps than even last season. And we go from, you know, a bank robbery in 1978 to uh, UFO investigation to Indiana Jones, like hunt for atomic energy secrets. So it's and we go all the way to Egypt as well, like we mentioned. But it's it's I think it's a really satisfying season so far. We've made it all the way to the midseason finale and then we've got more to come from there. So couldn't ask for more. <laughs> Fabulous. <Yeah. laughs> we are on the edge of our seats to see see where this takes us. And uh, yeah, we've certainly we we loved episode one. Oh, yeah, wait till you hear the podcast, Chris. We gush. We gush over episode one. We're we're ridiculous. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. That was a good one. That one has miniatures in it. You should talk to Martin about that when you uh he's uh that was oh. incredible, incredible to, to be a part of because I've never worked with, I've worked with miniatures before, but never to that extent. So it was very, very cool to see and to see all these people who, you know, experts in that field who maybe don't get as much work as they used to mm -hmm. come out and sort of lend their time and creativity to make this really, really amazing episode. Uh, I know now all the fans listening are going to want to know which scenes in general were the miniature scenes. The UFO, or the, uh, not the UFO, the uh, satellite uh, installation. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes it's sense. It's like a mixture of live action and miniature. And, yeah, it's just a lot of, <laughs> talk to Martin about it, but it was a lot of fun to, to be a part of. <laughs> I just it's a big headache, I was a just... huge headache and a lot of fun. It looked so real, I assumed it was CGI. That's that's basically where my head was going. Uh, yeah, sometimes wow. that happens. Great. I've shot in New York yeah. and been standing on the rooftop. And we're all shooting on this roof. And I'm like, finally, I'm in a real rooftop. There's the Chrysler building. And then it looks like we're standing on a stage with a photo site. Yeah. <laughs> now I have to go back and see if that's just, okay, that's a remote control Jeep crashing into a Lego tower. <laughs> no, so, that's yeah. a real Jeep. That's a real Jeep. Okay. All right. Good. Good. Yeah. So, wow. That's, that's fascinating. 
Well, Chris, you've been really generous with your time. Um, as I say, I, I know at the moment we're on the start of a journey uh, that's going to take us over at least the next couple of months. We are all so excited and just thank you for, for being with us at the start of it. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Again, Matt, slow clap. You have knocked it out of the park. Uh, what an amazing interview for our first oh. get for the season. Wow. Better than I was expecting. I mean, I really, I, I really wanted to speak to him because I knew he'd have such a, such a good and a unique insight uh, compared to all the other people we've spoken to. But I didn't expect uh, so much. I feel like we could have made that a two hour interview. I'm, I'm glad we distilled it to, to what it was. And, um, Chris was so generous with his time. Even just, just half an hour was, was fantastic. But yeah, th this is maybe, maybe one of these things when, when the show is over, hopefully after many years, maybe we get him back for a two or three hour long special. Uh, cause I could quite happily listen to that and pick his brain. Uh, maybe after the fact when he can tell us where all the bodies are buried and tell us what really went on with what a disaster and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I could also I could also see you your your wheel spinning <laughs> you, uh yes. with some of the stuff he said. I think that you already want to recall the uh volume two <laughs> beyond the yeah. mirror image to make some changes. I could see you seeing me doing that as well. <laughs> I was trying not to smirk, but... Uh... I honestly, I felt bad for you because a lot of the stuff he said was season one. I don't know if you knew a lot of that stuff, so... No, there, there was a load of new stuff. So, I mean, not to make it about the book, but there, there is going to be an annual reprint of the book. So there, there will be a version that includes season two. So as part of that, I can go back and insert new stuff we learn about season one. And that was always going to be the case. We knew people would come out and tell stories that we hadn't heard before. And that's so cool because it means when people buy the second version that includes season two, they're not just going to be buying it for a, a short chapter at the end. It's They can actually go and reread the stuff about season one. And yeah, lo loads of cool new stuff there that was just, it was was really fun to learn. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because we're back uh, for the new season of Quantum Leap. So I have to mm -hmm. assume that um, there are listeners that fell off when we were doing the retrospective shows in between seasons. And there might be new listeners who know nothing about what book we speak of, of which of I, I'm an English major. I got that right somehow. Yeah, don't but, worry about that. So all the words were there, Chris. All yes. the words were there. <laughs> um, tell everybody what books we're talking about in case they don't know. So th this is this, the, what was a book is now a series of books, but the book that first uh, got me to, to Chris's attention and thus invited onto the podcast. So it's the, the book that's the reason I'm, I'm here, which is uh, Beyond the Mirror Image, The Observer's Guide to Quantum Leap. Came out first in 2016 as a, a chunky 800 page hardback, all about everything I knew about the series. It's now... I, I'm, I'm working on reissues as a three volume series. So we've got volume one, which is an 800 page guide just to the original series. Um, there's a deluxe edition at the moment and then it'll be going to print on demand. Volume two is about the first season of the revival series and that's on print on demand. And, and there will be a, an updated version of that next year because heck, we've got at least another eight episodes to talk about. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And then volume three, there's going to be a Kickstarter campaign starting soon, which will be uh, for a 700-page book all about the ephemera, the novels, the comics, uh, the fan stuff that's happened over the years. It's kind of a really... a, a It's basically, between the three books, it's everything you could possibly ever want to know and a lot of stuff you don't want to know about Quantum <laughs> Leap. And all, all three books are available through Forever TV co.uk which is my website uh so yeah head over there check it out and, and see what i i do when i'm not when i'm not talking about quantum leap and i'm writing about it instead right. <laughs> so yeah um i got my copy of volume one recently in the mail thank you very much matt it is absolutely gobsmackingly beautiful and um i have been perusing it and it's just too much it's like i i gotta get up i got work to do <laughs> So, I know sometimes it's best to just choose one episode at random yeah. in the middle and okay this is this is like seven or eight pages of, of dense text about one episode I'll just read that and then walk away yeah it's easy to get lost in is my point yeah so um yeah. very nice work it's it's uh really worth the money for all you fans out there who um enjoy quantum leap and uh want to know more about it so forever uk is where you find mm. that. So, hey, uh, new season, new patron. We have a new patron to announce. Uh, why don't we give it up for Mr. Brian Green? Woo! Hey! Brian. Yay, Brian. For most people out there listening who are longtime Quantum Leap fans, Brian needs no introduction. He is the moderator for the Owl's Place website. He is the person who basically kept fandom centralized and alive for over 30 years while we waited for the uh, reboot to come around. So, mm. And he's still as active a presence in the Quantum Leap fan community as he's ever been. Now he's active on our Patreon site. He has joined us at the $2 Observer level. That means that he gets active access to our polls where we decide uh, what leap we're going to cover next when we're on hiatus and the official discussion threads that we post over on the Patreon site and other occasional things that I just do for the hell of it. So <laughs> thank you very much, Brian, for your contribution. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Hopefully you can see it's all going towards a good cause here. We already got uh, Chris Grismer. I mean, that's setting the bar right there. Yeah. All right. Uh, I have some feedback here. I knew this person was out there and uh, I'm going to start this. We got an email from uh, John Smith. Um, I don't know if that's his real name. Maybe he's just saying <laughs> anonymous. But the subject line uh, says, new viewer with a question. And who better to ask a question than the Quantum Leap experts, Matt Dale and Christopher DeFilippis. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let me start this out. John writes, hello all. I just recently got into Quantum Leap through watching it on Peacock. I really enjoyed it. Every episode was super fun mm. and I had a great time. I just fell in love with Ben, Addison, Ian, Jen, and Magic. I loved listening to your episodes and watching the after show on the YouTube channel. And then I discovered that there was an old show called Quantum Leap. And I tried watching that one, but I could barely make it through one episode. You didn't even know there was another Quantum Leap? Wow. So not only that, uh, he couldn't make it through one episode. So here is my question. Does the show get better? Hmm. Oh, oh dear. I mean... <laughs> Oh, John, this is going to be a struggle. Uh, does, the, does the show get better? I mean, Sam seems pretty neat, but Ben is a much more interesting character, and comparing Al to Addison is not even possible. Al doesn't do anything the entire episode. 
and I hope we go back to the project sometime, or at least actually leap somewhere else, since this episode was like 99% stuck in an airfield in the 50s. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, not laughing at you, um, laughing with you, because yeah, you, you've, you've, got a, you've got a lot to discover, and it's I'm so jealous of you. Sorry, to carry on, it seems insane to me that they would make a show about a premise where you have to time travel to fix things, and then not solve a problem by the end of the first episode. Anyways, I enjoyed the episodes I've listened to and can't wait for season two to start airing. That's going to be fun. Kind regards, John. All right. So uh, there's so much to unpack here. Like uh, with the name John Smith, I don't know if that's if, if this is just someone having fun with us. Like, is it is it possible that there are people out there who don't even know that there was an original Quantum Leap that they based this show on? I guess. I, I could definitely see that as as plausible i i feel i'm i'm trying to think i feel sure that when i introduced my partner to the ronald moore battlestar galactica she did not know that it was a reboot hmm. okay i think there's definitely going to be shows out there that if you're either young or not a nerd or a young not a nerd and you don't know your sci-fi history then you just you watch a show because it's fun and then afterwards as long as there's not a lot of callbacks which there is not I mean, let's face it. There's yeah, the, there's not enough callbacks that you'd think this is definitely a sequel show. Yeah, I mean, they they did mention Sam in in the premiere, and they showed a picture of Scott, and they also showed a picture of Al. So, I mean, they do mention Al quite a bit with Beth. But that that's backstory. That's backstory rather than oh, this is obviously a sequel. Hmm. Hmm. So it's hilarious to me because I don't even think John made it through the first episode uh, because he says it ended without them resolving the leap. So, so John, just so you know, um, that was the series premiere called Genesis and it was actually a two hour TV movie. And for whatever reason, the powers that be <gasps> have broken it down into two episodes and have kept it that way for streaming. Uh, I guess it was broken down for syndication, obviously, but you yes. think, yeah. I was surprised, shocked, that when I finally got Peacock and Quantum Leap finally got onto Peacock, the original Quantum Leap, that they kept Genesis as a two-parter and they even cut out um, some footage and stuff like that. So yeah, you did not see Genesis as it was supposed to air. I mean, you only saw the truncated first part of it that was cut for syndication. So I would recommend that you at least finish that episode and then see if you think it's boring and dumb. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, and I wouldn't even say that this, this. I hadn't considered the fact that yeah, it sounds like he's just um, got up to the point where they're at the barbecue and then Sam and Peg kiss, and that's that's it. Um, I hadn't I hadn't considered that, but yeah, that that being the case, I wouldn't even say the second half is particularly better than the first half. But it's like watching any movie and just stopping halfway through. You can't appreciate the first half without seeing the whole story. So yeah, definitely finish the movie. And also give it a couple of episodes as well, because I know I saw original Quantum Leap from early season two, and then I saw uh, the pilot on a rerun, and I found the pilot at the time a little slow moving, and I wasn't that impressed with it. It's grown on me over time, and I love it now, but when I first saw it, I was expecting something else. And it might be that as the show gets going, it becomes more what you expect. So give it, give it at least two or three more episodes, I would say. Yeah, you know what? That's funny because I wouldn't even say to stop at Starcross. Starcross is an okay episode, but it still feels like a very early episode. Mm -hmm. I would say if you're going to give Quantum Leap a chance, 
watch through to um, Color of Truth. If you're yes. not on board with the series by the time you finish Color of Truth, you're never going to be on board with the series. What do you think? You know what? If you're really struggling, this is not a show with a story arc. Skip straight to Color of Truth. You now know the premise because you've seen Genesis. Finish out Genesis, get to the end of the movie, and then you can skip straight to Color of Truth and see one of the best early episodes. There's some other very strong episodes later on, but that that's one of the best ones. And you, there's nothing that happens between Genesis and Color of Truth, just because the nature of TV at the time, there's nothing that you're going to be missing out on. We're taking this all very seriously, and somewhere there's someone laughing at us going, <laughs> they, they took my <laughs> you know what? seriously. Uh, yeah, I look at it this way. I mean, there have to be people who are fans of the new yes. show that don't know the old show who are listening to us right now. So mm-hmm. this is doing somebody somewhere a service. Yeah. And um, I think that that's uh, really why I picked it. Plus, I just think it's it's pretty fun. Yeah. I, I really hope this is true because I love the idea that the new series is going to introduce new people to the original series. True, true. Um, like Star Trek Next Generation did, like I'm sure some of the new Star Trek shows are doing. I know, right, this is a quick quick segue, but uh, it just reminded me. I know somebody whose first introduction to Star Trek was Lower Decks, and he's loving Lower Decks. And because of the crossover episode recently, he's discovered Strange New Worlds. And because of Strange New Worlds, he's now discovered The Cage. I mean, that... It, <laughs> Seriously. I'm like, wow. So if Quantum Leap can do the same thing, fantastic. Yeah, and um, you should stick around because they do get to the project sometime. Yes. It's not very often, and um, if you blink, you miss it. But it's a lot of fun when they do, and it's one of the strongest episodes of the entire original series. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, a completely different show, though, in many ways, John. So uh, you are going to have to make accommodations for another Quantum Leap not being like your favorite Quantum Leap. Now you know how <laughs> we all feel watching the reboot. So, <laughs> <laughs> But good letter. Good letter. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. We would encourage all of you out there to let us know in droves what you thought of this season premiere of season two of Quantum Leap. Did you like it? Did you hate it? Are Matt and I way off base? Are we just a couple of gushing fanboys and you're sick of hearing it? There are many ways in which you can uh, let your opinion be known. You can write us a letter at P.O. Box 542, Bayport, New York, 11705. You can get us by phone at 707 707- 847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can hit us up on Instagram at quantumleappodcast. You can X us at quantumleappod. And you can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash thequantumleappodcast. You can also go that extra mile and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. All patrons know that I put a discussion thread up for every episode of the podcast that we do, and this one's going to be no different. So if you are a Patreon subscriber, leave your thoughts on that official discussion thread over at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. Just remember that we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And speaking of upcoming episodes, Matt, what's next? Next week is Ben and Teller, which despite the the puntastic name doesn't seem to be anything to do with magicians. Um, (laughs) The synopsis said, disappointingly, love a bit of Ben and Teller, uh, the synopsis is... Ben takes on the role of a bank teller in the wrong place at the wrong time during a dangerous armed robbery. 
Addison, Magic, Ian and Jen come to terms with a shocking discovery. The team adds a new member. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, dun, we dun, would have dun. dropped in, we would have dropped in like, you know, audio of the leap in, but they didn't do the leap in. They just no. they left Ben out and that was that. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, wow. I look forward to seeing that. I'm just so hyped now. They're down there and they're waiting for me and I have to go look at it. So, um, <laughs> we're going to get off mic and I'm going to go turn on the TV. <laughs> Good. But yeah, I'm looking really forward to uh, to seeing the second one, seeing where it goes, seeing if it lives up to the, the expectations. But uh, I know that you're going to have plenty to say about it. And I look forward to speaking with you, my friend, about all of this and more. Until that time, I've been Christopher DeFilippis. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you during the stick up. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt and Chris with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. The executive producer of the quantum leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Harold Sullivan, Glenda Palma, Chris, AKA Brackmang, Mike Covert, Jeff Kiska, Greg Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production.